Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, Nico here. Welcome back to another all-new Exodus for Podcast, your premier comic podcast for modern Marvels, Chronos, Gaming, Classics, and more. You can find us at ExodusForPodcast.com and Exodus for Podcast on all your socials. And I couldn't be more excited than to bring you guys the first ever repost of a live episode. We've changed things around and we're doing Exodus for Podcast Live, a weekly event Sundays at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time over on our YouTube channel at Hubs Plus Network, where you can also check out awesome shows like Billy Club, HTML, and more but we're doing this thing every sunday morning at 10 a.m eastern standard and this is an amazing cut down of the first episode where we covered the entire november month slate of x books if you like x's for podcast you're sure to love the live show so tune in and check that out sunday mornings over on youtube facebook twitch and more you can check out all of the links at xsforpodcast.com and x's for podcast on twitter until then enjoy this cut down of last week's premiere episode of X's for Podcast Live. Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Check out Monday for our classic format as TK and I continue our investigation into everything Spider-Girl, which has now expanded into mystic totemic symbology. And it's just going to get bigger from there. We're bringing in more voices. It's going to be an incredible time. And especially now that Spider-Girl is back in Marvel Unlimited. And you can find out all of it at xsforpodcast.com. And we'll see ya. Hey everybody, welcome to an all new X's for Podcast Live, your premier live comic podcast for modern Marvels, Chronos Gimmick Classics, and a whole lot more. I'm Nico, and you can check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me at Desler AOA. That's like Desler in the Age of Apocalypse on Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, Hive, like everywhere now. Triceratops. <laughs> right, Triceratops. Tyrannosaurus. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Hive, Tumblr, basically everywhere at xnatexgrayx. And you can check the show out on Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else on social media as we expand our platform at X is for Podcast. And we could not be more excited than to bring you this new format of our classic program. We are doing kind of a soft launch, giving ourselves a little bit of room to figure out how this whole thing is going to go. But X is for Podcast Live is just such an amazing opportunity to get to talk about these amazing books that we love so much and to talk about them a little bit more uh, big form, right? I'm so excited to do this with you all. And this is just such an exciting transition. And I couldn't be more excited than to have you all with me. We're gonna have so much fun. And I see Nathan rocking the XI4P swag. I gotta give it up. Nathan is officially uh, the X's for podcast winner of the day. That's the no prize right there. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Uh, love it, everything about it. But you know, whether you wear the cool hoodies or not, we are all going to have an amazing time. And I love that we have such an incredible crew of people. And I don't want to hold anybody back. So I think if you guys are cool with it, let's roll right into our first bit of coverage in our new You're format, going. where we're going to take a look at the entire month of titles all in one go as best we can. We're going to take a look today at X-Men number 17, Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red number eight, right? Kind of like, you know, two books together, both eights. We're going to be, but I think they're both tens. We're going to take a look as well at X-Force 34 or 101 Reasons to Hate Beast. And then we're going to take a look at two five-issue miniseries that are like, hey, let's look at the past and let's see why these versions of these characters maybe don't work as well in the present (laughs) with Patch 1 through 5 and Gambit 1 through 5, which should have been called Gambit and Storm in the Adventures of the Fantastic Four stuff Claremont never got to finish so hard. Oh my God. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Well, I think it's time to get to X-Men number 17 then. Let's do it. Hey everyone, I'm Kyle. I am on pretty much all socials at Drantis82. Hi everyone, I'm Jake. You can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's OH Mega Sentinel. You can also find me on Instagram at The Heart Farmer. That's at The Heart Farmer, all one word. And last but not least, Jonah. Hey everyone, it's me, Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Pete Jonah. That's P E A K. And we are here to discuss X Men number 17. Now, Nico, you just called X Force number 34, 101 reasons to hate Beast. I think this is like approximately 50 and a half reasons to hate Forge. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I was not prepared for a world in which I was going to have that many reasons to hate Forge. So this was kind of a rough read. Agreed. I, I want to love Forge. I do. It's like, you know, you always root for that person. That person that's just like, you know, Dirt Boy comes from the ground. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just want to like see him do better. <laughs> like, but Forge has always been kind of suspect, hasn't he? Like his first mm. big on-screen invention was the mutant depower gun, which you know came in very handy during <laughs> But his first thing was to make a gun that takes away mutant powers. That, uh, that I feel like that's a very suspect origin. I mean, and he was a bit of a dick in Life Death. Like, let's be honest. Like the way he treated Aurora was jackass extreme. I mean, all of this. Okay, yeah, I just. You know, even creating the depowering gun, like Forge's power is to create technology. And I think at times he is that person that like just has to let it out and letting it out for him is kind of not the best, not going to end up with the best situation, but he has never seemed so like Hank McCoy like and gleeful in doing (laughs) some crazy shit as he has in this arc, which I feel like kind of resolved with a little bit of like, don't worry, he's actually not Hank McCoy. Well, Oh, yeah, when he was in the Green Lagoon and he's like, hmm, Caliban, let me tell you about what I did. Like, that's going to absolve everything. Well, and can you imagine, like, because, I mean, it's the X-Men, so it's a mutant depowering gun, but could you imagine if he was like, hey, guys, I have this Avengers depowering ray. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure a... he could invent. Yeah, why not? It's a bit of a scary thing, though, because all the big, like, all the big geniuses of Krakoa left to their own devices, unhinged and, and unoppressed, have kind of gone way far off the ethical deep end, you know? I mean, Sinister was already there. Beast has been 
been headed in that direction for a while. And Forge has kind of always been on that trajectory as well, but there were restraining forces, and now there aren't nearly as many restraining forces on them, and some real heinous things are happening. I can't disagree. That said, the insane, intricate horror beauty of the idea of folding a mutant into a suit that has all of its powers, that has its mind that you can also get rid of. You is... mean Cala abs? <laughs> Calapex a little bit more. You see some kind of calisternum. Oh. You know, it's horrible, but it's also in the implications of Krakoan technology are pretty insane. And I really do appreciate when somebody is willing to show us the thing that we never would have thought of when we were presented with the initial setup for the technology. I thought Dollhouse was really great at that. Mm -hmm. And by Joss Whedon, mm -hmm. may he pay for his crimes. But I thought he did a really... <laughs> <laughs> i thought he did a great job of being like oh yeah you thought we were just making like living sex robots here's some insane things you could actually do if you had people's minds stored and it's really similar here where you know i don't think any of us would have thought of caliban's suit but it's pretty useful the last i saw of caliban he was kidnapping kitty pride to marry her so he's <laughs> oh, wow gone through a very large journey in terms of who he is as a mutant and what he can do oh, because forge was most scared of them getting their hands on the DNA of Caliban for his mutant abilities that seem unending, unlimited, endless. I have no idea what this character do currently. So it was very fascinating to see that Caliban is the linchpin in making sure that Forge could, in theory, get out. But also, he's like a computer navigator. It's kind of like if Master Chief can, can turn off Cortana. That's funny. <laughs> I, you know, he does really go from, like, Newsies extra to, like, American Gladiator. And <laughs> I love that you missed that whole thing and you're like, I went from him being like a creeper to a bodysuit. Well, he was kind of like not so much the hunchback of the sewer system and, and now he's like this all-powerful, huge mutant that like everybody wants to use him and because he's a la in the vein of Scarlet Witch and Jean Grey. You gotta make them not have any agency in their stories because everybody has to use them as a tool. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's like the Phantom like with Kitty Pride as his Christine I guess like <laughs> like she okay. was very happy in that comparison. She never dies. The Phantom Calais, comes back so jacked. No. I, I think the, whole, the whole point of Caliban is he doesn't get a ha he doesn't get happy. He doesn't ever no. get to be happy. He's always like he's a, something terrible is always happening to him or the people that he loves, and he never really has the ability to do anything but watch it happen. Even when he's when he gets you know juiced up by Apocalypse, and he still really can't do anything to help himself or the other people around him. I mean, he can't even kidnap Jubilee then. Got it. Come on. I feel like he had some fun with the X with X Force when they were in the purple outfits. Well, they really dumbed him down though. And I did not like that. Being he dumb was an is adult. Fun, Jake. Being dumb is very fun. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because the dumbest mutant that has the best abs and pecs is fucking Alex Summers, and I want him out of this fucking book. Oh, I was actually really gonna try to I avoid you were gonna talking talk about, about Colossus. <laughs> I was like, wait, the Colossus of it all? What? Wait, where is he? What? Yeah, I mean, you know, we are still dealing with the fact that Alex is here. We got a big taste of that last issue with a nonsensical fight that I just feel like we really all thought the summers were past. Um, but, you yeah. know... <laughs> 
it's this we're still dealing with this really weird team and this book is still deciding to have the kind of it's like it's kind of not the best qualities of immortal x-men where there's not <laughs> really a like hard intention to focus on a character every issue it's just like we're kind of for like we kind of focus on one and then we kind of forget that the others are there and then they get thrown in firestar is really falling to this even magic is which is so oh, unfortunate yeah. but yeah i mean havoc's there <laughs> he was sitting around this whole time see like what i don't like about this this current theme of it it seems like it, they're stuck on dragging up old issues so like obviously with alex that like that fight resonates that airplane fight in what was like 97 98 of uncanny like way back when like even caliban's suit as cool as it is really is a throwback to the kulan goth saga when he was merged with charles xavier and like the mm -hmm. conversations that they had at the time like it just it's very like it seems too regressive and it's not moving anybody forward in any way yep well sync got a little bit of a step yeah. forward though true i mean it, it people do get moved forward it's just kind of who is it is not like not everybody's gonna get the chance we know that already there's not enough time it didn't happen in the original 12 issues some people sync is doing great in this book yeah. overall which i don't get me wrong i absolutely love but i feel mm -hmm. like our community went through a lot to put firestar on this team <laughs> <laughs> And if we all had to do that, I feel like there should, by this point, 13, 14, 15, 16, yeah, we really ought to have had something where we're like, at the very least, where we're like, okay, she definitely, it was important that she be here, yeah. not she, magic faxes her away. <laughs> and, and there's such an interesting story that could be told by dealing, diving into her, you know, her idea that assimilationism is the way to go. And Krakoan is like, no, we're proud, we're mutant, we're here used to it and like firestar is like no 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 i want to be an avenger <laughs> like <laughs> like you could tell some interesting stories with that but instead you just got her painting in the background and getting sent to avengers mansion for some reason so it's firestar and it's havoc and they're doing bialystok and bloom and it's <laughs> i want to be an avenger and they're just like tap dancing around everywhere because they're complete sellouts i love this Sorry, really gay musical theater reference, but also Mel Brooks. So, and also kind of more of an interesting idea than we've had for these two characters. So, who, how can we complain? I mean, ultimately, though, the big thing here is so, as I mentioned, we have this weird application of the technology that I don't think any of us could have thought of. But then we have a hiccup with the technology that we were told about really early on and told that at some point we kind of should expect. And that is that some. Somebody got resurrected when the original was still there. In this case, Wolverine, Laura Kinney, the one that Sink fell in love with and spent years having a relationship with. Beautiful and tragic. Hard to talk about. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, like, I remember when this show switched over to the Krakoan protocol kind of stuff. That was a legitimate concern. Me, Jonah, and Kyle all had, like, day one. What happens when there's two of them? Yep. Well, yep. and I remember that. Yeah. I'm worried now because we've got Alpha Wolverine. Mm -hmm. So what happens now? Do they just have separate backups now? Or <laughs> it's yeah. it's a lot to of questions that are being created because of 
this new situation. Absolutely. To always have to deal with cloning. It seems like <laughs> they will never escape cloning. It will be part of all their backstories. I'm just waiting for the Fang Dokken clone as well as the new Gabby clone. Give us all the clones at this point. Where's the Jonathan clone? I was really fascinated with this storyline going in Go Save Darwin. I actually thought that was a really cool idea of let's go save this mutant. Because I was like, okay. And then it was less of a team story and much more of a solo story, which feels weird for an X-Men title that's meant to focus on the X-Men team for Krakoa. But I was okay with it. And ultimately, I'm more, I think I'm happy with the way we got Laura. Uh, no, let me rephrase. I'm happy with the way of what happened with Darwin. I thought that was super unique and interesting. Him being up uploading his consciousness to survive was a really great take on the character and were a really great step forward for him, I think. But I don't know exactly how to feel about the Laura stuff yet because while I'm happy for Sync, I don't know what this means, as Nico pointed out, for anything. This is brand new yep. territory that I think might be starting to be explored, which is cool, but I don't really know if I'm happy that it's with a Wolverine. Yeah, it, poor poor Laura. She's been through so much of a convoluted background already. Like, do we really need two Lauras running around? Do we really need an old lady Laura? Do we need old lady Laura? Do you guys remember when Claremont had her be like, am whore, not whole? <laughs> oh. Jake, I feel like you've got thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, we have started to see this explored. Like, first of all, in this issue, Forge burns the Caliban suit, which I thought was just so gruesome and chilling to begin with. But also in uh, X-Men Unlimited, we had that whole maggot story where Eni, I believe, got duplicated and Emma Frost was like, we're going to kill that dupe. We're going to kill it and fix things. (laughs) And so I do think there is some real cause for concern. What's going to happen here? How do they resolve it? You know, by virtue of the fact that Wolverine Alpha is so old, you know, you can you can argue that she's essentially a different person than our yep. prime Laura. But I'm sure there's going to be some debate around that. And I, I honestly, I'm, I'm curious to see who's who stands up on what sides, because I do think Emma Frost is going to be one of the people who like stands up and says, nope, it's one of the other guys. Pick it. Well, you know, who's not voting Darwin. <laughs> uh, who knows? Okay, Forge, Forge came in with a zeta bite of extra yes, data. Exactly. Yeah, Darwin like, is in. Darwin is in the system. Darwin is uploaded into that Arbor Magna. He's going to become part of that voting block that is Krakoa. Voting block. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones that show. <laughs> That's how the Quiet Council should solve all of their problems. <laughs> Dance off. But Xavier with that Ponzi little to me, my X-Men. Exactly. <laughs> X would always win. Yes. That's, that's pretty much what I'm always making my uh, my House of X Xavier action figure do is just vote the house down. As all right. Well, well there's so they've got all that extra wrist and like <laughs> ankle action. You can really do it. Well, guys, we got to uh, start wrapping this one up. Everybody's got to throw those final thoughts at, at X-Men number seven. 17 by the amazing team of Dugan and Kassara. One thing I do really want to mention, I was not a huge fan of the Kassara art in X-Force. I just didn't connect with it. I'm actually really loving it in this X-Men book. The way he draws these characters in particular, I it really resonates with me. Love it. it, it the art beautiful. Uh, uh, although, like, I, I swear, if we're going to have to go through another X-Men vote, like, let's make it worthwhile next time. Like, it tore, it tore the community apart. <laughs> uh-huh. And for no reason. I just feel like this was an example of where Jerry Duggan really loves certain eras of X-Men that I also love, but I feel like I've had people who loved them in the time since that have already put to bed a lot of these stories, yep. and retracing some of them doesn't feel like advancement. You know,
know, moving forward isn't always evolution. Sometimes it's just not being where you were. Uh, geez. I am really hoping that we get some time with the team actually trying to come together and work through their differences. I'm really not a fan of infighting. I'm playing Sinister Scavenger Hunt for all of my X-Men reading now, and so I'm wondering whether or not Forge has always had that diamond motif on his headband. If it's dovetailed with him becoming a, like, creepy, soup mind, alternate Caliban burning monster, maybe there's something to it. I think this overall story, because even uh, before reading X-Men 17, I went back and read 15 and 16 again as well, just to make sure I was fresh up on everything. I think it had a very interesting setup. I don't know if the payoff is exactly what I was looking for. Maybe with a different character or this kind of story with somebody else outside of a Wolverine would have been really interesting. I really love the art. God Forge is so hot. Um, <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. I think I think he gets left out on a lot of sexiest X-Men lists and that is a damn shame. And with our resident diversity hire of Firestar, I really do think <laughs> she <laughs> needs her own story. I really need her to be at the spotlight of, a, of an X-Men issue or a story because I think it's really important <laughs> that she gets that time to really kind of develop with the team. We will <laughs> never recover from resident diversity hire, Jonah. That was uh, calling it. We can't commercial, do that. Commercial. So, we've got three new people with us. How do you do? I am Sanguine Threads, and you can come over and find me on uh, Instagram and TikTok right now. Hey, everybody. It's Mr. Toybox. How's it going? What's up? Que pasa, mi gente? Good to be here. Looking, All you guys are looking lovely. We're live. Life is good. And Steve Babe. Yeah, hello. It's me, Steve. And uh, yeah, I'm on uh, all the social medias at the links below. Howdy-do-da on all of them. H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. So, we are gathered here to talk about murder lesbians and Abigail Brand, who may also be a murder pansexual let's 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 go with uh, that she's just yeah. murder she's just murder yeah. yeah so like okay so i gotta dive into the x-men immortal x-men of it all right so like how how are you feeling after this issue because this is like everything i wanted and like i could get still so much more out of it like the reveal like is mystique all along been sherlock holmes like first yes off, like mm-hmm. yes. Yep. yes yeah yes. like that was yeah. the first thing i put together well yeah. i love the idea that mystique is like the historic Historical Sherlock Holmes when there, there's not a historical Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> well, I, I guess there was one in the Marvel Universe instead of just a get, guy. Maybe he's yeah. related maybe to all of those two million year old humans. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been nice hinted, at, it's been hinted yeah. at for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It did. The fact that, that, that Gillum picked that thread up and like put it on panel and gave mm-hmm. us this whole issue like exploring that in all these different time zones or timelines, I guess. Not timelines, whatever. Different periods of time just so cool seeing seeing sinister's history with destiny and mystique the big reveal at the end just like understanding sinister a little bit more as a character i can't 
get enough Immortal X-Men. I love that every issue you explore a lot about different characters, but it's it comes through the viewpoint of a single one. And that's just given us such great, great issues, whether it was Destinies or Shaw's or Emma's. Like, they have just been so good, and this is no exception. And it was a nice, like, let's take a beat. Let's, you know, tell some history after all the shenanigans of Judgment Day, which was a great, great crossover. But I'm just, I'm glad that we're catching our breath a little bit. Although, I would say, I don't think we're catching it for too long, because I think all of this is a very nice tee up for the upcoming uh, Age of Sinister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this book really did a smart job, like, using Judgment Day to its advantage, because not yeah. every book benefited from Judgment Day. Some books clunked on Judgment Day a little hard, and I feel like, you know, Gillen in his master storytelling always really makes sure his script reflects how brilliant the artist he's working with is so it always feels like it's written to that artist's ability and while sometimes i feel like a book started at issue one and story a and now that we're at issue 12 or you know 13 i'm like oh i'm furious this isn't the book i started this stopped being the book i started so long ago but in a way where i feel like kieran gillen is touring me around what it's meant to be so many runs of x-men i feel Mm -hmm. like i'm like i'm getting a history lesson in a very modern way i feel included in the conversation i don't know this has been a really incredible experience to read. speaking of history lesson a return to the black womb project yeah amanda muller like what from x-men forever he picked up that thread i was like oh he's trying to make it all make sense like come on <laughs> exactly like- yes and like like going to like the eugenics of it all and the experimenting on mutant babies and bloodlines yeah. and like not quite justifying it well i mean yeah i guess justifying it but like again destiny is destiny and mystique are shrewd they are you know common sense driven they they do what's got to be done even when it's ugly and that's kind of what this is and i love that it's that it's framed as like this flirtation between the two of them just oh. everything about this issue i like that it really as much destiny has changed over the course of her very long life as well because we see early in the issue destiny doing these horrific things that shock you and mystique even at that time in 1943 in Gordo. but like she's experimenting on mutant children she's doing things that seem awful because she already has the vision of her koa and she says you know sinister and i we don't agree on anything but one thing that mutants are important and we are ultimately on the same side finishing this issue out with her beating the shit out of sinister as a young woman and saying i will never be on the same side with men like you it's just like it's historical irony in the pages of one single x book which is really a a feat to pull off but uh it's it's just it's a real tragedy of an issue in reverse Uh, the train wreck of watching the things that they'll do in order to get that promised future and it shows the limits of destiny uh precognition right there's there's yep. things that she doesn't know until later well and it's such a beautiful irony that you that you raise there that sinister has the longer view and understands that mutants need to come together and destiny in her in her youth and in her anger is like absolutely not this will never happen i will never compromise on this and it's the irony that she's the one with the power to see but it's sinister who out who, who really has the clarity of vision in that moment is delicious it's a delicious irony an absolute madman hearing about Charles Babbage's calculator. Yeah, you like, gotta specify yeah, which Charles. Charles Babbage, yeah. Charles Darwin. Like, that was a great beat. The, like, will I ever be rid of obnoxious Charles? No! Unfortunately, no. Like, <laughs> but 
Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just imagining he somebody I don't think about he had. I don't think he had the long vision. That's. I don't think he had the long vision. He keeps going back to the Egyptian. The Egyptian gave him these gifts. The Egyptians gave him all of this knowledge and everything. Like it wasn't that he had the long vision. It's that Apocalypse had the long vision and gave him that long vision by giving him the gifts that he gave him. That that influx of of mutant power. And he's like, oh, I get it. We got a race towards the future. And of course, this is a much. Uh, it's an old Apocalypse, but it's an older version of Apocalypse who had a very narrow vision for how to make sure that mutants made it into the future. So like he was still kind of very twisted old school, you know, if you're not with me, we're just going to slaughter you anyways, kind of apocalypse. So I don't necessarily think it was, I don't think it was Sinister's own vision. I think it was Sinister's vision, but routed through apocalypse's Mm. lens. Interesting. Wait, are you saying a white person found success by copying the works of a person of color who came before him? (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying. Mm. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm it's just, one of the I'm really saying. unfortunate things about Apocalypse being gone is that for so long he and Sinister were not, I don't want to say synonymous, but they were inextricably linked and Sinister's plans were always to thwart Apocalypse or doing something to help Apocalypse because he was under threat, whatever the reason. And you're right. It's, it's because it was Apocalypse's vision because Apocalypse mm-hmm. and it's a bit of a retcon, but it still continues to make sense that Apocalypse kind of knew what we were striving for and knew what we had lost and knew what we wanted to get back. And now that we have it, the fact that Sinister has other things in motion, I would be so excited to know what Apocalypse thinks about those things, if he would be impressed in some capacity or if he would just shut it all down. And they never got to have that moment of like, you know, remember all of the times that we were dealing with each other constantly well and it really makes you wonder where else apocalypse was sort of seeding the idea of krakoa of mutant dominance um you know he he even in the era of krakoa he was moving around doing secret shit like he 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 planted the siege perilous in other world and we didn't see that until we got into knights of x he boosted sinister and gave him this vision for what you know a mutant a mutant world could look like (laughs) at some point Coven Akaba was something that he must have started. Clan Akaba. I've kind of, I'm kind of been wondering, reading this and thinking a lot about Mystique and her kind of mysterious origins. What if Mystique was an off, like some distant offspring of Apocalypse, and also had that sort of vision for Krakoa just sort of built into her as an, you know, and and was like an agent for that. I mean, like she's blue, she's a shapeshifter, she loves a skull motif. Like she's it, brilliant. Never come she's up, a tactician. Like, People. Yeah. Follow her. If she walked in and was like, "My name is Raven Akaba," I would be like, "Yes, it is, sweetheart. Right? Yes, it but is." <laughs> Apocalypse, for as strong as he is, is not stronger than. Why do we keep forgetting her? Genesis. I mm. would see Raven Darkholms as more of a a spinoff or a, an offshoot genetically from Genesis than from Apocalypse. Oh, well, they can because have, no. she's got such a singular focus and such a slow snake of a tactical mind. I'm like that. 
seems like Genesis to me. Because mm -hmm. Genesis was never off the handle. She was slow, methodical. She thought so many centuries into the future. And she's like, I love you, honey. And you're my husband and everything. But you are the weakest among us. Yeah. You don't have the vision that you actually need to get where we need to go. You need to stay here and like learn some shit. We're going to go do important adult shit over here. Like to me, that's that's Raven Dark Holmes. Because even though she doesn't know everything Destiny knows, she's like, I understand that you know more than me. I'm going to follow that river ever so slowly and trust that you know what you're doing. I'll say this. I'll, I'll say <laughs> you just the fetus. I'll say this. <laughs> I I love that Apocalypse, this is the second time in this series, and we're only on issue eight, where Apocalypse looms in the background, right? He's mm -hmm. also like a key figure in the origin of um, Exodus, mm -hmm. another, you know, favorite of mine. So <laughs> I love that Apocalypse, we haven't even seen him in print or in a story, like in a hot minute, his legacy, his shadow still looms over us. And I love that in this issue, we get, again, going back to Almogordo and, and teasing out the black womb project a little bit it's almost like destiny and mystique they played as big of a role in the lines and they listed here of xavier marco hello now we can maybe hopefully kind of retcon juggernaut into a mutant late Thank mutant you. chain biker i'm <laughs> ready for i'm ready for Sister that guy put, to come back Sister just um, put himself into these people Sister is not a mutant especially at this point yeah uh, yeah let's keep that in mind he's a human well yes and, and with him like losing it in this issue and like talking and like sounding like like he should be institutionalized yeah. like just stream of consciousness like all the words can't come out fast enough kind of thing yeah. it kind of and then him talking about how he like expunged his his weakness of you know his sorrow for his dead wife and he's remo since removed those weaknesses from his personality like when you consider all the different versions of Sinister that we've seen and all his like affectations and all his it kind of goes back to the whole thing of him like purging all his like personalities and like going back to like sinister prime it makes you just wonder like what's really at the core of sinister that isn't just him pantomiming how he thinks a scary villain should be or a campy villain or a victorian era obsessed villain or whatever he's but like I doing think, life eugenics on himself i yeah. think it's i so think his British madness though no. makes sense like the way he speaks today that kind of over the top mustache twirling villainy that is just that is at least to me it makes sense now it's like oh oh you were driven more than just slightly mad you were driven off the fucking rails and you just kept extracting pieces of humanity from yourself till all that was left was madness so your madness has been compacted and formed into your personality it's not that he's happy and mustache twirling it's that he is not mentally balanced up there he's 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 off his freaking rocker and well, but it's it's solidified into a blade which makes it terrifying I, I mean like honestly like I feel like him the reveal at the end with the four cloning vats like I feel like he was able to separate elements of his personality that he talked about is his monstrous personality into these four different beings so I know we we've confirmed seeing two of them I, I'm pretty sure we've seen at least the third one I'm 100% like, sure the, in the fourth one I could be and I have no clues to this like no proof 
proof, but I think it's something like Mother Righteous, right? Like that would be yeah. a really cool flip. He yeah. talks like about like looking into the supernatural and the beyond and psychical stuff, and like the hint that there's a sinister out there who's focused on like deities the and beyond yeah. and the astral realm. And uh, apocalypse machinations on Essex obviously turned him into a Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. So like it would it really makes sense that these four different clone versions of himself would have four different types of personality. It's just Vincent Valentine. Ooh, what if Age of Sinister is basically like the Sinister Wars and it's like these different Oh my god, that would be very well could be. Very well could be. I can't wait to see what happens. It's just so cool that like Sinister's like becomes such a big character. And I and I love how, you know, Nico touched on this, like, you know, different series had uh got more out of the the recent crossover with Judgment Day. I think Immortal X-Men's done such a good job consistently of like weaving in and out of bigger stories yeah. while staying true to like what's going on within itself. You and know? and I, I like that we're covering Immortal X-Men 8 and X-Men Red 8 together because I think out of the X office, like there's certain writers that play very well with each other. And I think Ewan and Gillen play really, really well with each other and they play off each other. As we go into X-Men Red number eight, where our opening page is where, bam, we've got a Legion of X character right there. And we're like, what? What book is this? Like, wait, am I, did I ever pick up the right book? You know, so you go into, you know, Weaponless Inn right then and there. You go into more of the sisterhood between her and Cora. And then we jump right into the Abigail brand of it. <laughs> that data page at the end had me like jaw on the floor. Like I was like, oh, she knew it all along. Fucking piss me off. <laughs> right? And it's, it's amazing too to see how. She was behind all of that. <laughs> everything. Literally everything. everything. Like it, it's amazing to see these two books that have these two women who have long standing been trying to pull the strings on everything whereas uh, Destiny has been before Moira was born even trying to set things up to where Krakoa could flourish and it's really I really wonder how that works with her power with Moira's reboots like does it like go back in time and does she like see the future based off of what the current reboot is like that's interesting like thought right and they're both with blue manipulators yeah and they're both they're both master manipulators well no they're both with blue manipulators like like (laughs) Destiny is with Mystique and oh 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 I mean Beast I I mean that's such a different kind of relationship though (laughs) Mystique and Destiny is is Destiny Yeah. The feast that, in that's Abigail the, Brand is filthy. Disgustingly filthy. I think Beast and Brand really deserve each other. Oh yeah. They do. 100%. <laughs> they that, do. That's 100%. the damn truth. They deserve yeah. each other, but like, we don't deserve not, them. No, oh, oh yes. Them. Oh, completely. We don't claim them. them. Completely I, I just I love that, like, I mean, not to go back to the mystique and destiny of it all, but like mm-hmm. after literal decades of it just being subtext and you know, just I don't know, like you you kind of read into it, but it wasn't explicit. And they are literally my favorite, most in love couple of the Marvel universe at this point. Like they have a love that could burn the stars and it's just so cool that that is Probably actually can. on paper now in the stories and and not just for like uh you know one panel they're kissing no they're yeah. married they are married it's, it's, ladies they are it's been BK shown do crimes and get married yeah they're burning things down <laughs> it's been but, shown though that they're one of the few like couples like that we see on page on page 
panel that openly communicate, that actually trust each other, even when they're like, I don't know, but you know what? I trust you on this. I I, I know that I should be mad at you because you're working on shit that is like eugenics <laughs> and this is bad, yeah. but I'm also going to trust that you have more vision. And like, they're constantly communicating. They trust each other. They have intimate, tender moments together. They support each other. When Destiny came back, like Mystique took her and kept her in a safe space for months and just helped her with her mental issues and helped bring her up to speed and took care of her until she could like be a, a person again and be able to assert herself as a person again. Like I don't see that with a lot of other, you know, pairs and couples that we really see on panel, but they have done it so beautifully between Mystique and Destiny. And that's why I'm just like, I'm here for them. I stand them. They can burn the universe to the ground. I don't care. I am with them. I, I'm just going to come out and say it. I think Destiny's resurrection has been the most pivotal and impactful mutant resurrected in the Krakoa era. Like the, mm-hmm. the most they've done with any of the characters. I mean, and I'm thinking of others like Thunderbird. Awesome. I don't know. Who else? Well, I mean, I think it depends yeah, on how far back you take the resurrection protocol proper because like to some extent like proteus i guess proteus pretty great and you know putting him in an xavier body making the fight didn't proteus come back in the last astonishing before Krakoa though okay yeah it's you know, I don't not think Destiny is the most significant. I yeah. think she is. It's that so much of the plot was geared toward her resurrection for so long. Yeah. If she wasn't the biggest resurrection, uh, that would have been a folly. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. But you know who's got to get resurrected? Magneto. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, like, also, Magneto, they're, they're going to save that. I mean, we know Magneto's going to come back, right? Like, White hot room. I think Magneto's he's going to do it himself through the waiting yeah. room. If it well, it's, sure not like, it's not like Charles Xavier would would ever I'm hoping they something were... that's like against Magneto's wishes or anyone else's, right? It's not like not, not Xavier like would ever do something somewhere. without <laughs> consent. It's amazing that we all just name like six different ways that Magneto <laughs> could come back. Um, you know, I said no, no, no Magneto. That's, <laughs> one, of, that's one of the ways. No, I said Joseph because hey, who doesn't want a hot young Magneto thing for Chuck to play around with for a while? Yeah, Joseph is the best. Person. I love you so much for saying it. I Jake. was like our yes. throw, like. <laughs> Well, I think I'm not saying I want that. I'm just saying that's likely. The fourth Mr. Sinister is actually going to be the 17th Doctor Who now that Disney has Doctor Who. And I think he's going to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow and Magneto's just going to come back in a TARDIS. It's going to make a lot of sense at the time. It does now. All right. So, Steve, tell me your theory on Orbis Stellaris. Orbis Stellaris is Mr. Sinister. He's 189 years old. He's from Earth. He is male. He is a person who is invested in creating meat like robot cyborg clones who are basically the marauders the original marauders but cyborgs instead of mutants he traffics in selling like clone weaponry that's his big thing he's one of the biggest roboticists and geneticists out in the outer rim which who knows how he got there but sinister in immortal x-men 8 literally says like they sh- they're trying to shoot a bullet to the moon think about all the things we could do out there are there other worlds where they've beaten the ai and there are and orbis Stellaris will find them there's 
there's so many things here, but like first and foremost among them is the fact that he like is obsessed with the Summers brothers. He's taken, he's sucked out Cable's viral load, (laughs) fucking around with Vulcan's Uh, mind through the alien Draculas. Page after page after page of things from Sword through all of X-Men Red that point to Orbis Dolaris being Mr. Sinister and specifically the Spade one, which I think the final evidence comes from the solicit for X-Men Red number 10, where it says, you know, Sinister plays his final hand and it's the Ace of Spades or something like that. Now, Steve, give that a lot there. you've got a, a whole body of evidence and and I would never, I, after all that, I wouldn't say you're wrong, but TK has had an interesting pet theory for a while Let's and I really want him to uh, just just share, the, share it as a counterpoint. I think it's yeah. Catherine Ann Summers. I think it should be Catherine Ann Summers. Hmm. Now, for the for the folks at home, who is Catherine Ann Summers, TK? It is Cyclops, <laughs> Havoc, and Vulcan's mom, Corsair's wife. She I think got, that'd be really fun. She she was in space. She got she was a concubine to Decan. We can skip that part. But you know, I mean, she is from Earth. She's just one of those characters who I feel like somebody. I you know, I Steve's evidence is much more compelling. <laughs> I just she's she is one of those characters that somebody could sh- and should bring back. Yeah, and she and bring back. To, angry. She deserves to have a story that is not being the concubine of Decan. She does. She kind of got fridge, and yes. she deserves yeah. something better than that. Yeah, it's really oh. bad. And, if, but well, I hate her, I hate the idea of her like having like done that shit to her son. Like, well, also she's not like 189 <laughs> years old, but like, you know. true. Hey, time well, violation is like a crazy like thing. True. Space she could is, be though. Yeah, yeah she's 189, and we just didn't see it. And Whoa. like, Maybe I would the mutant all along. Yeah, and it would also give Vulcan connection to Sinister, which I kind of need because the fact that he's Deken, who I think should change his name to Faang, uh, the fact that he's Deken's child instead makes him not part of like the Corsair crew. So I would love it if Catherine was just like, hey, I'm Mr. Sinister, and after I disappeared in space, I became a giant eye. And that's, I think you could both be right. I don't wow. see one of you has to be Is this whole idea, this, this theory that two of the Sinisters are women has really been bopping around in my head, because if Mother Righteous is a Sinister, now what if Catherine Ann Summers actually was a Sinister? Like, actually. And it's not that Sinister is obsessed oh with God. the Summers family, but the Sinister is part of the Summers family, oh, and therefore oh, is taking oh, care of family. Yeah, I'm just saying, there you go. Really like, it's, good on purpose. it's good icky, but it's yeah. icky. Yeah. But it's but icky. It's, it's, good so, icky. it's so icky. He oh, would, that he would bully a child. That's the from this. It's definitely something he would do. I think something we're forgetting is that there's not only four Sinisters. Like, we could absolutely be like, which which Sinister is which member of these face cards, but there's a billion Sinisters. Well, and and now we have we have a sinister on a winter council obsessed with summer. I'm just mm, I'm just saying there's mm-hmm. there's little there's little oh no ow no like like so, because like, wait, sinister's wait. obsession with the summers line going all the way back to like actually he just had a real big crush on Corsair and he like had to do ah. all of this stuff just to like bed Corsair. That's kind of funny. Yeah. And then imagine <laughs> if we take it like all the way circle, full circle, apocalypse's wife was named Genesis and one of the names that Cable's son took when he was evil was Genesis and so, Phil Collins was in Genesis 
I was going to say that's probably has to do with Cable being raised in an apocalypse future where he knew Apocalypse's son and was like, I'm going to name my son Genesis too. Can you imagine? Oh my God, that makes the Catherine thing make more sense because then that means that if the child is named Nathan, it's sort of named after his grandmother. But also, Sinister access to Summer's DNA since the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. There was a Summer's in that mix. Paradox, a grandfather paradox question. The one who changed oh, his yeah. name to Summers after meeting Scott Summers? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, Boy, that and that's a roundabout sinister. way to go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> now that's sinister, right? Like the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. That was the pre-split sinister, right? Or is it the post-split? Well, that sinister still turned into a diamond sinister. So yeah, he had the diamond before he created a clone of himself also with a diamond. So the, the order of operations is a little muddled. Yeah. Maybe All right. Right. Yeah, I mean, so it's only I'll be interested to see if Gillen touches that because, you know, uh, Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix and Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix is a big classic of the era. And it's absolutely something I could see him being interested in, you know, leaving a little mark on and helping us tie some stuff together with all that he's doing. Well, just that reference point of contact between Sinister and the Egyptian is referencing that specific story. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap this up, y'all team, what is your final thoughts? I'm going to say on these two books, I am am so amazingly interested in what these two are cooking up like Gillen and Ewing play so well off each other uh Ewing like doesn't get the credit for playing so well off of the other X writers that he does because this team like the the way he pulls things that are happening in current books like is is amazing without a beat he doesn't he doesn't skip a beat he like everything's perfect I hope like I, I'm team Orba Stellaris is sinister but like I also would love it to be sinister and Catherine Ann Summers now because that would be a really interesting miss yeah you know these books are really fantastic they're very fun to follow i think we do get a lot of the sort of moral gray area things are not perfect that i think you need in a story but we have not gone into the x-force zone of like holy shit that's so terrible (laughs) so you know i really appreciate it i cable in this issue just looks perfect and that's all i need in this world go forth yeah i want to say we didn't talk about it uh yet but the artists on all three of the issues i'm here to talk about today but especially these two are new artists on the series and they're all i think michelle bandini did a fantastic draw job of drawing the cutest little mystique in a deerstalker and (laughs) cable looks hot as hell i i madibek musabekov which i'm sure i am mispronouncing does a phenomenal fill-in on x-men red i really like the style sinister looks hot as hell too when he He's uh, doing his whole vampire of London mm-hmm. killing innocence thing. Damn. <laughs> I was like, Mr. Hyde, my ass. I had met Nathaniel Essex. <laughs> And now I met Mr. Sinister. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to Mystique for having the best line of the week. Uh, if we took time to correct all men, we yes, would have time love for that. nothing else. <laughs> just amazing. I love this so much. Between X-Men Red and Immortal X-Men, I think <laughs> the X-Office 8. Get it? Yeah. yeah. So good having a bunch of bisexual men writing in the X-Office. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Like it, a well, not only that, like I appreciate both of these issues because they really treat all of the characters with an even hand as how they present them. Like, you can be sexy and still not be like ooh, cheesecake! And I love the fact that, like, they they wrote such a beautiful, sapphic love story and packed so much nuance into, you know, one book. And it just, it, oh, it's so gorgeous. And I love seeing things
things where female characters are actually nuanced because there was a very long period in comic history where they really weren't yep. and now i get to see it and it's 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 pulling me back in and making me want to like read more and just Mm, I could sit and eat all day. Like it's fantastic storytelling, and it's really lovely to see everybody get an even and fair shake on how they are treated as a character and how they are developed. It's so good. I love these books. <laughs> Mystique, the ultimate wife guy. Who knew? I love how Ewing is so collaborative with other space books. There was a great Marauders reference, the Kin Crimson, uh, not King Crimson, Kin Crimson, and the ongoing storyline uh, that Steve Orlando was telling. And I've been really loving how this is the X space book. Abigail Brand's machinations tie into what's going on in Kree space and Shi'ar space and Skrull space. And for the last few years, it's really felt like there is a mutant presence out in the galaxies, the galaxies, making themselves known for better or for worse in factional ways even. I'm so excited to see just continue that story and evolution of like the mutant nation in space. And Ewing is really the person to get us there. I love getting to continue to see the rise of like conceptual leaders of the x-men people who didn't necessarily hold the rank of leader of a group of mutants like mystique or storm who have held that position at times and at other times haven't really come into a position of leading the books if not leading the titles and that's just been the best thing all right i think we're i think we gotta force some x down now it's time to go take a look at beast jesus christ <laughs> ah no oh Which play the far. commercial better you than me uh, $100 billion dollars i have the distinct uh opportunity to bring us together to discuss the darkest most depressing x book that i think any of us have read in quite some time Really lining up with Wolverine, which we discussed previously on the show, and the conversation went on for a really long time about how bad Beast has become and what what went on there. And, you know, as we were going through this X-Force book, I thought, maybe we're getting a break. You know, he's busy torturing Logan. <laughs> and what more can he do besides torture Logan? So we've got Beast on the ground doing the most insane, heinous micro-torture to one person, while meanwhile he has started a prison moon. Then he a stole moon. $100 billion from just the discretionary funds a hundred billion dollar prison moon a hundred billion hundred billion dollar prison moon i'm so mad a prison moon not only just a prison moon but a prison moon where he's experimenting on people like what in the yosef mangala if what you want in the to... age of apocalypse is going on here? if you want to keep a thing a secret from Krakoa, i understand that you don't want people to know that you're complete like <laughs> absolute monster like rivaling their worst villains they've ever fought you you are identical to one of their worst villains if you want to keep that a secret that's fine why would you tell Maverick? Why would you let Maverick? <laughs> and here's here's the big thing for me. Right? So fast. <laughs> who who the fuck is Maverick? Like I went through and I did one of my Nico look at all the appearances, blah blah blah. And like through the course of doing a bunch of things for this show, I've like read most Maverick. Let's say not like all of, but like who the fuck is Maverick to Beast? Every now and then we get these situations where people are like, yeah, you can totally see where this is coming from because these are both things happening in my book at the same time. And I'm like, oh, but I don't, I don't. Okay. First of all, Beast doesn't trust 
anybody. Second no. of all, Maverick sells everybody out the first yeah. chance he gets. Right? Third of all, it's not discretionary income if you tell a guy who's famous for trying to steal money about something. Like, this is, this was like, you can't tell me Beast is a $100 billion prison colony smart. Like, you can't tell me he's Hojo of Shinra, but then also tell me he's Dr. Doofenshmirtz of Doofenshmirtz Incorporated. Like, uh, it feels like they were like, hmm, let's see, what is a really, like, archetype, like, let's say, like, you know, like, the the bad guy from Inspector Gadget, like, what would he do to, like, Dr. let's Claw. make Beast, yeah, what would Dr. Claw do? Let's make Beast do that. Like, I, I really want to see, like, Beast just stroking the cat now on his lap. And, uh, like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to get himself. that stage. in Wolverine, but the thing he's stroking is Logan's metal skull. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh it's God. it's dark times. It's dark times. We've gone too dark, right? Like, this is too much. Yeah. I was uh, just saying to Nathan earlier today that reading through this issue in particular, like the, the darkness of what Beast keeps doing, but also like how Sage just has a Wolverine monologue throughout this yeah. entire issue. Like, Sage just, it's like copy-pasted Wolverine stuff onto Sage stuff, you know? And you can read it all in Wolverine's uh, voice, and it sounds exactly the same. <laughs> it does. I'm starting to wonder, like, we've, we're, we're hundreds of issues in, I think, at this point, to the Percy run if we're counting everything that he's done but i don't know maybe maybe 800 maybe less but it just feels like he doesn't really care about accountability or like know what it really means because it feels like the characters are accountable when they're like when they're punishing themselves it feels like the characters do worse and worse things and then they're like oh i have to punish myself worse and worse for these things but absolutely nobody ever faces any kind of like anything from anybody else like gene gray quits the team because she can't deal with holding her friend accountable or standing up to him sage made motions towards standing up to beast early on but now she's just covering up for his crimes and complicit in them and she's just like I just gotta punish myself by drinking all the time so I can forget that I'm doing all these terrible things and it's yeah. like okay but like is anybody at any point ever gonna be like have somebody else punish them for what they're doing and like them right. have to just accept that because it's it seems at this point that it's like Beast is like well I'll punish myself later I'll be history's greatest villain Sage is like well I'll just drink myself to death Wolverine's like well I can take it but I've gotten to a point where it's like none of these characters is ever actually going to face consequences they just yeah, but like, not unless they apologetic what they're not apologetic no, that's the problem yeah. they're no. they're not sorry they're regretful that they're gonna get in trouble yeah but absolutely which is they're fine. not sorry they're gonna get in trouble is the, is the trouble i need happen? them to it has to otherwise this run will feel like the most unsatisfying x-force run i've ever yeah. read to be honest and I, yes. I loved this run when it started and i i do like a lot of it still but it's just like it the domino story the way that domino story was treated is infuriating to me it's the biggest yeah. drop plot thread in the krakoan era and it makes me think that we're not gonna see consequences number two is colossus dropped kind of hasn't gone anywhere mm -hmm. he got put on but it's not up to percy and that's still a problem right but i mean like it got it's one of those things where, like i love when writers trade off plots but like i need them to trade off plots like the plot is going to get paid off agree and yeah. like i feel like what gillen is going to do with colossus while is you know gillen has proven he is willing to acknowledge even a single panel of canon if it's real good i feel like he's going to pay off some other stuff for colossus and i feel like the nature of this x-force run could even be summed up in well kid that's life nick but like, <laughs> unfortunate but, but fucking 
fit. Like, this is why I can't do all reality programming because, like, you can write a good ending, but producers have more trouble manipulating humans into the ending they want without facing legal problems later on. And so I can't get a satisfying conclusion from most reality programming. And I didn't think that that's the nature of this comic book. I didn't think I was going to be told, kid, that's life. Some plots just don't resolve. Yeah. Okay. But, like, what, Quentin Quire, what's going on with him? Oh, he's, he's oh, just right. dead except for when he was alive in Judgment Day, when we saw him get killed on panel, whatever, you know, that's, who cares? <laughs> like, it's, I don't he's know. He's an Omega. He's an Omega. That's like the most important resource in Krakoa. Like, that should be like, like, the only thing I'll say is leave it because I would rather somebody else get Quentin later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah, true. At this point, I agree. Um, Quentin's had some really true. interesting development in this series, but it doesn't feel like there's plans to go anywhere more with it. And I just, I think we have too much to do to hope that we could bring him back in this book and have it be anything good. Like, I. We, I the coolest part of the flight should never be the runway. I, I, <laughs> I think you guys are right about the consequences. I do think we will see them. I think it will be kind of rushed towards the end. But I guess one of my other questions is, like, are there any consequences for Beast now that, like, this character is unsalvageable oh, for yeah. the rest of time? <laughs> well, his consequences would be being treated as such by the rest of the cast. Yeah. Like, Which I think, I like, think oh, will I eventually now. happen. I think it will eventually happen. I guess my question is, like, isn't that, like... That's a big yeah. choice to make to make this. He's completely either he's completely irredeemable or uh, it's Dark Beast, and then it's just kind of a cop out plot. I was if like, you can't be Dark Beast. It just doesn't work. I but that's the so only either. way. That's the only way it works. Like, because comics is so cyclical. Like, you you people have to go back to their status quo. Like twenty years ago, that's like always the way comic is. And like, that's the only way you can even do that with Beast is by retconning it having been Dark Beast. Like, I think that's the or, least or, satisfying way to do it. Sure. Oh, I agree. Killing him there, and bringing him back as an earlier backup. There, there is another option, or we can just recognize that sometimes people's ideology changes over time as True. they yep. see more and more shit thrown at them. And instead of being Dark Beast, which was just a really easy way to go dark and evil with him real quick, this has just been a progression yeah. of shit getting worse and worse, and him absolutely just losing hope and losing control and just going, I, I, I can fix this. I can fix this. I can fix. This. I can fucking fix. I can fucking fix. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> fix this whether other people like it or not. And this is just his natural progression yep. into what Dark Beast would have been. So instead of you know just slinging him into Dark Beast, it's just been that slow march into his own dark world. And we're just going. This isn't Dark Beast. This is his progression into darkness. Yeah, it's yeah. hard for me oh my God. to relitigate Sorry. this, but like it's not it's not actually like comics are always cyclical. Sometimes characters do change alignment and stay that way. Magneto is a hero. Whether or not he yeah. does bad things every once in a while, he is and has been for like 40 years now. On the whole, mostly heroic. You know, he's an anti-hero occasionally, and sometimes he's an antagonist, but he's not a villain anymore. And the same is true of Maddie Pryor in the opposite way. Maddie Pryor is no longer the hero that she was. She may do heroic things every once in a while, but she chose villainy and she chose yeah. to be that kind of character. Beast started making choices like that if we're honest in the 70s but definitely in the 90s and more so in the 2000s it's been a long crawl like raven said and i don't think beast ever has to go back to being a good character who is a good person i just think the fans want that yeah with the with x-men 97 i know there's a lot of like synergy between like the you know the live action and animated properties in the book so like i'm like okay cool like unless they like take beast and have him be like super like villainous 
just now like i i always see people trying to bring him back to the x-men 92 yes because that's everybody's most beloved form beast right they're always going to be trying to do that they're always going to be trying to put the mohawk back on storm (laughs) (laughs) and i think part of the problem with dark beast versus this beast being dark beast is dark beast knew he was immoral he knew he was immoral and he was fine with it Mm -hmm. right whereas this beast is like my immorality is not the problem i think he thinks that his immorality isn't the problem like he thinks that this is for the betterment of things dark beast was like sick pleasure ha 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 but this beast wraps himself in justice and that makes what he does to me like diametrically different than dark beast because dark beast doesn't have any illusions that he's living by this beast lives in the illusion that he's still doing something for anyone else and when you're looking at the core of a person like like viral selfishness yeah this guy is pure evil at this point whereas dark beast i mean like dark beast wasn't not pure evil but dark beast wasn't pure evil that pretended he wasn't and when you believe you're righteous you're a different kind of frightening See, but I think I think Dark I believe, Beast believed he thought was righteous too, and that reality. No, no, no. Dark Beast thought he was right because he thought his worldview was right, no. and he liked being dark. He liked that evil. He leaned into it and took pleasure from it. This current Beast that we have, I don't think he thinks he's immoral. I think he thinks he is right, and that even though his morals are complicated, <laughs> that they are the right ones, and that's what's terrifying because he's going to slowly try and impose that. That sense of morality or those parameters of morality on other people and he's going to defend himself. Well, you know, you just don't quite understand where I'm going with this. You don't quite understand where I'm coming from because I it's have a, a deeper thing. knowledge of what's going on. <laughs> and it's like, we've heard these kind of people before and they turn to fascist real quick, real, real quick. Beast and we already him. saw him do a little bit of that with Terra Verde. Correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Dark Beast under the uh, wasn't he huffing too much sublime and that's what turned him into that? That's that's a different beast. That's, yeah. a, oh, that's, beast. A, that's a different yeah. dark beast yeah. that I'm yeah. thinking of. No, that's yeah. the beast from the end of uh, Here Comes Tomorrow. It's just that, yeah, I don't know. It, making beast dark beast would be the biggest cop out in, on the level of like retconning uh, the Scarlet Witch not to having been Magneto's daughter or various other really bad retcons that people have done. If only because it takes this entire story about somebody doing worse and worse things for the greater yeah. good as they sell it to themselves. Basically, somebody re-evolving the CIA out of nothing in a, in a paradise which is like honestly one of the worst crimes beast has ever done is just from the beginning and it's it's something that is telling an important story about what good people can do when those good people are obsessed with thinking they are the only person who can be trusted with the power and the information to do the right thing it is the centrism of fascism right there like it's the central post of fascism that lifts that up is the idea that there needs to be somebody who makes these choices for somebody else and that person should be me and it just to take that away and to make that have always been an evil character hiding as him is the dumbest fucking thing I could think of to write a comic book. And I, I think Ben Percy, for all his flaws, is a better writer than that. Yeah. I think he's telling a story I about think... Beast in our universe in the way that Dark Beast became Dark Beast under the Apocalypse universe. You know, I think you are thing. I think you are correct. I hope you are correct. It just my one concern is just that they're gonna need this character again at some point. That said, we are coming to the end of our time for this particular segment. So I want to give everybody a chance to do final thoughts. They need beast as a property and he can't be used the way he is now 
now. And so I just don't know how they're going to get out of that. And it haunts me as I read this book. I think the rest of the really dark stuff is very cool. It's just a lot. And again, I just have a lot of questions about where the end of this track is. One, Beast and Brand, they're just peas in the same pod. They, they deserve each other. Like, just fuck it. Like, put them together. Let them get married. Let them be evil, gatekeep, girl boss, gaslight, whatever. All right. And two, I'm not sure that I trust Percy to handle a sage alcoholism story with the subtlety that it deserves. And we've seen it before with other heroes with varying different degrees of success. And those always make me nervous because god that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to put in a story and i i hope i hope he's up to it you know i think the big takeaway from this book for me is that this is a bunch of like just under a listers at this point it's a lot of like we can coast a book on a bunch of these people but they're every one of them is someone's favorite and absolutely none of them are being treated like anyone's favorite right now no no they're yeah. all playing like no. the and someone in someone else's book but there is no main character to root for here it's been- didn't yeah you didn't watch house of cards or breaking bad or any of the you know all humanity is dark pointlessness shows because you thought these guys have figured it out and that's what i'm being handed here so it's maybe not working for me the way it was 20 issues ago i think our surprise protagonist person we're meant to be rooting for is omega red because surprisingly he has surprisingly yeah he's done the least bad comparatively to his other teammates we're getting into cartoonish villainry from beast where he's stealing a very large sum of money and nobody notices and he has this big old prison but nobody else is a cartoonish villain this is meant to be a very serious gritty book and we're doing things that i'm we're talking about accountability i am having a lack of believability that peace can get away with any of this and that nobody is noticing that nobody it, it just feels a little too much that you're at you're asking for a lot of disbelief from me uh, even this high yeah. fantasy superhero comic that i don't know if i can give at this point because it feels like we're just giving too much leeway and uh, we were talking about it before i think if they're going to keep east my personal opinion of the two ways that this only works is that they do with Cassandra Nova and he gets resurrected and they take out the evil part of him and he just becomes super nice and compassionate. Or we go way back and we just do the oldest backup they have of when Beast was first introduced. Uh, he's not blue anymore. He's just a big old gymnast with big feet. Uh, that's just that's just the part we're going back to. We're going to like raise him again, my child. <laughs> the college football player, Hank. I love it. Yes. Also, better treatment of Sage. Rayman, it's your turn. This feels like it was written as an improv exercise, like a one-sentence yes and story and it doesn't work for me because it's a lot of the yes and it's like somebody tried to here we're gonna we're gonna stop the story here we're gonna make this point and then the next person is like no we can't do that we have to keep the story going so let's diverge off this way and this way and this way and i'm just like like i could i could i could almost understand a hundred million with the amount of money that emma and madripoor and everything is bringing in but a hundred billion how fucking drunk was sage to okay that was she like neck deep in her seventh fifth of Everclear to okay that bullshit? I'm sorry, what the fuck? I that is like say. church pay off money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like this is there's one couch in Krakoa that all the mutants sit in and that's where they (laughs) 
And like, I, you get the believability of like, okay, you don't know what he's spending it on, but where did he come from? Who did he right? take it from that nobody said anything? I, I have the same the question. Name where, Mint where is there a hundred billion US dollars? Right? Mint like, Mint. Where, this Mint that, that can make <laughs> Mint Mint. They make mint flavored money and they just print it Mint flavored money? I want mint flavored money. But, mint, oh. mint. Oh my God. Is it like, do you suck on the money or is it like, like, does it dissolve in your mouth? But then it's gone. Like, right. Just put the money through your nose and breathe. I want to love this and at the We're same time. We're snorting mint flavored money now. It's so hard to like suspend disbelief. Like I could, I could, I could believe in mint flavored money yeah. more than that hundred <laughs> mil or hundred billion. Just yeah. oh yeah, we're just gonna go ahead and we're gonna check off on that. Like no, that is tough. It's it's too far of a leap. Like we have we have a mutant who can turn eight ounces of anything into chocolate. I can I can get behind that. <laughs> I could understand mint flavored fucking money, and that's how you follow the book. <laughs> it smells like mint i think we know who made this okay we can understand that who built who built the moon like right like but who Box? who transported <laughs> all the materials there built the damn thing staffs the damn thing and nobody said shit what no other what with, with, i'm sorry uh, space no. reconnaissance is like hey there's something else up here Who's there's, there? a moon, oh, there's a moon you can see I, it on telescopes i'm, I'm gonna pivot to steve yeah we gotta wrap i'm gonna up. pivot us to steve that's fair that's fair I have just two brief things to say. And one is that the only way this works narratively for me, I think the only way that it actually works as a story is to make the full, the breaking point is Beast has to make the transition to on-page supervillainy, like recognized by other characters. Other characters need to look at Beast and go, oh, he's one of the supervillains on the X-Men, like Mr. Sinister, Apocalypse, etc. People have to see Beast in the universe as an antagonist in the same way that in the Battle of the Atom Future, he was a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. We need to see yeah. Beast fully be recognized as the supervillain yeah. member of Krakoa that he is, as opposed to a hero. And that's the only thing that's, that can save this run, I think, in my opinion. The other thing is that Chris Allen does a phenomenal job. This is his first issue on an X-Men comic, as far as I know, and yeah, it's one of the really new Stormbreakers, hard. and the art looks so good. Maverick looks hot, yeah. which is ready to pull off. <laughs> the, co the costume Maverick has looks great. It doesn't look like it's smashing his nose. It actually looks really fucking cool. Everything in this is really well designed. I love it. I think Sage looks gorgeous. Thanks, Don guys. As well. This was a Amazing. great discussion about a horrible topic. <laughs> to the commercial before Beast gets yes. us. Welcome back, everybody. We are here now to discuss two mini series events that I have personally a little bit of trouble with in part because I'm not sure exactly why they're here. Like not in an attacking way, but I know that this show, because every single person on the show is a very forward minded thinking person, likes to look at, you know, the advancements in comics, maybe infinity comics aren't everybody's thing, but infinity comics have really been a valuable part of the Marvel oeuvre in the last two years, you know, post pandemic light beginning and because it's never post pandemic again it's post pandemic changes right and gambit one through five and patch one through five represent for me chris claremont and larry hama two experts of industry going back you know 40 years each this for me was two people writing two versions of two characters alongside two versions of their side characters that just don't exist anymore and they even tell us where these go the wolverine arc goes before wolverine 31 which places it around 1992 and the 
X-Men arc goes before X-Men 267, which places it in 1990. But for me, as much as I thought these were fine, I would have liked them a lot more if they were 40 pages on Marvel Unlimited or 40 page one shots. And that's sort of my starting point for all of this. I would love to get your guys' thoughts on going back to these eras with these writers and these characters to get us going. So, like, there's there's a point you have to be really careful of with these fill-in, like, we're gonna fill in old story miniseries. Like, like Gambit was the point of that series to show that, like, the Age of Apocalypse Gambit, like, really would have fallen in love with Lila Cheney because, like, I I don't see any point other than that. And, like, and, like, you really have to be careful with continuity. There's a point in issue five of Gambit where Lila is at a, co- like, at her concert and she, somebody throws her her mic and she says, thanks, Allison. Okay? So, like, if that's supposed to be Dazzler, she's in the outback in Australia and dead at that point in time? Or uh, the only, only other- brave. <laughs> so, like, because, like, it's it's a, it, she's got the same outfit. She's got the dark hair that Allison wore within the, in the band and she's got, like, the little star earrings. So, I'm like, I guess that's supposed to be Dazzler, but there's no way any of that makes sense. So, like, you just gotta be really careful when you're playing with old continuity like that because there can be some really jarring points that are like, that couldn't happen like that. And Chris Claremont really loves to tell how I would have done it stories. <laughs> he loves to follow up on his run. And one of the things we have realized is that it no longer really works to allow that to be part of main continuity. Just life changes. Other writers write things. We require a different degree of flexibility from writers. And these are not things that Claremont is here for. And I I love him as he is. It just no longer can he come in and write mainline continuity. So our two options are separate continuity, you know, him telling his own stories, what would have happened, what could have happened, or we give him these little slices where we say, like, you cannot change anything, but you can tell a story in a time that you want, as long as you don't make any changes to a character that would be really significant. And okay, I guess I have so much respect for the guy. I get why the company would and and would allow these things. Nothing is bad, but I think that, you know, you do kind of miss, I think they're probably constantly looking for like, you can't say that because that would mean that Gambit was this type of person now and and we can't allow it. And what happens is you miss things like, uh, you know, I just want to throw in a quick reference to Dazzler and nobody is really sitting around checking that that works because while that doesn't affect anything, it, it is a change that a fan would notice. Right. But and it's his own continuity too. That's the worst. Right. <laughs> Love the Hama one a little bit more because I felt that it had fewer of those things and was, you know, I, I thought it was a more plausible Wolverine story that kind of could have happened at any time. It, it feels more like it really should be an alternate continuity story. And the yeah. fact of the matter is at the end of the day, I just don't understand what, what the intention is here and why it's not something like an infinity comic with anything and i've learned alternate history is not a very popular genre it's uh it's really hard to come up with ideas that still make sense with where you're diverging your point unless you're diverging your point really really early or really really close to where your time takes place so when you go back and you do these kind of fill-in stories i think there's a lot of trickery and a lot of 
pitfalls I think a lot of writers can kind of fall into where you can't change a lot you can't make too many references because one reference one mistake one saying anything can technically cause this idea of well that wouldn't happen this would change so much about everything this would change too much so I don't mind these idea of fill-in stories especially if there's like a large enough gap where you can kind of put in something like this whether it's the gambit or the patch story but it does feel like okay you really need to be a lot more careful than you would say like TK was saying make it an alternate continuity where you don't have to think about too much of what's going on because you're making your own separate story your own your all your rules all your history whatever you want to do you can do whatever I like the idea of doing these slot in issues but these two particular stories for me I think both fell short in the sense of they're trying to do the setups that I don't think had any actual payoff I don't really know what was the point of these stories because again you can't really change much and you can't have these big lasting effects because that changes too much of what's going currently on and it doesn't match you have to try to make everything as consistent as possible but these stories then don't feel like they hold a purpose because there's nothing that actually happened okay what was the point of all of the backstory with Ashake and like the the mother of Marissa Marissa like the doctor the older doctor like what was the point of all of that <laughs> like to draw old lady titties like she was still in her 20s that was the only point of that fucking thing well and you know I really want to ask you Raven because I really appreciate that you know I am not a woman I don't know what it means to be depicted that way and for all of the being an ally it, it doesn't really make a difference I thought that some of what this book did was it underplayed the women in like it should have been called Gambit and Storm it never should have been called Gambit and in exchange it utilized women as yonic magic symbols and it made every woman sort of play either maiden mother or crone and it made some women play multiple roles mm-hmm. and i just felt like women were really treated unusually like chattel in this book mm-hmm. and i just didn't know if that was like me being oversensitive and i just don't see that all comics do this 24 7 or if this really did like have a lot of the women are accessories for men vibe would you like me to give you my opinion on these two oh, desperate do. unholy fuck we went back 40 years and it wasn't oh we're going back in 40 years and doing it in a good way with a slightly updated vocabulary and slightly updated tropes no you went all the fucking way back to 40 years ago where women were there to be pretty there to be cheesecake i saw so many angled shots angled perspectives of women that were just boobs look at these i'm wearing spandex for a fucking reason i actually am i'm wearing this particular cat suit for a fucking reason this is how spandex acts on a regular ass body they were using it to hey look i got boobs boobs would you like some boobs there's some boobs oh look look here's some butt shot let me give you some more butt shot can we get you some button boobs oh hey can we have the uh the 60 plus year old woman look like she's got 20 year old tits and look at the butt look at the butt because when you're older you're also sexy but hey we've got this sexy marine where we're always going to be wearing skin tight shit and yeah she can really fight but let me go ahead and fridge her ass at the end are you fucking yep. kidding me with some of this bullshit and don't even get me started on patch which i'm just like please don't be a hate crime please don't be a microaggression please don't be racist please don't be racist please don't be racist as you're murdering indigenous people wholesale for no fucking yep. reason with no fucking buildup and they're just there the happy porters gonna bring you back to our village and make sure that we take care of you because you're the fucking main characters are you fucking me with this bullshit i mean you know th- those are just a few uh thoughts off the top of my head <laughs> and not 
prepared, not prepared at all, right? No, no, not at all. <laughs> and that's exactly sort of my concern with some of this material. I actually felt that Larry Hama did a much finer job on his recent X-Men Legends story. I yeah. felt that Chris Claremont did a better job on X-Men New Mutants War Children a couple of years ago. This felt to me like, number one, the whole point of the X-Men Legends line was have it all in one place, two to three issues at a time, no big fucking arcs, no big fucking multi-part yep. stories, mm -hmm. and instead of giving me what I thought I was promised, which was 48 pages to tell what really is an annual of story, I'm starting to get 120 pages to tell five issues at $4 a piece, Yeah, and it's $4 a piece when I'm lucky. Sometimes the first one is $4.99, so now I'm paying $25 to read what I thought I just read a press release that I could read in $8. And when the page count to dollar ratio matters, I'm left saying, why wasn't this digital exclusive for $1.99? Why wasn't this Marvel Unlimited? Because if these were Marvel Unlimited or digital yeah. exclusive, I would have felt like I won the lotto with these. Well, it's bad because they're, they're, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the X-Men I mean, Unlimited cheap series, X-Men Unlimited series online is like, is, is like delving into characters that like i'm like oh this is really interesting this is really cool i'm glad to see us like like this gambit and patch series like i was excited i was so excited for pat i was so excited yeah. for patch i was like you got oh a general koi point yeah. yeah and then i was like what the literal fuck like it's like okay cool wolverine dealing with madrifor like madrifor and there's like russians in it and it's like what well, why 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 it just it could have been a fantastic spy story it honestly could it had so much potential nick and fury in a cat suit <laughs> but then it, it started leaning in with some really uncomfortable uh, microaggressions and tropes like Tiger Tiger being mm. an Asian woman called Tiger Tiger stomping oh, yeah. around in those little, you know, the very trope heavy type of costumes being the dragon lady kind of persona. I'm just like, no, you could have done better. Please, please, please don't keep leaning into that. And it, oh God, the Russian woman with the fucking cornrows. Oh my Are god. Are you kidding me? Like they I've heard of ordering a black Russian before. <laughs> I'm like there was there were so many things that if they had just been corrected for it would have made a much better story but instead it just felt really disjointed and I kept bracing myself for the next microaggression and it was and I shouldn't even say microaggression these were macroaggressions on some of them <laughs> yeah. I'm just like seriously like like the the highlight the high point for me of this entire story is when Wolverine is holding if and they're like yeah this is our child they're blind and death and gender non-conforming and the only place that they can really feel safe and, and use their power safely is in it, it basically a POC dimension and we just want to keep our child safe. I'm like, okay everybody love on this child. I'm okay with this point. Yeah. This is how the story should be running and then it went right back to oh. and now we're massacring natives. It's like, ah, uh, 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 what the fuck? Like, Patch, uh, uh, Patch felt like big ol' well, trying to patch too much together. That's my <laughs> for this issue. Had we Way too 
many hands in the cook jar. Like I, my my biggest contrivance is what was out of all these four groups that are trying to vie for these three Russian mutants that Wolverine somehow gets involved in. One, the Yakuza the Yakuza group has no business being there. It is a setup that has no payoff. They're experimenting on monkeys, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to blow past it. Then there's a, literally a point where they're trying to fire Wolverine, and they all just decide because they're firing at one another, we're just going to start fighting one another. It felt like not only was I confused, it felt like the characters were confused. And that just, I, I still don't understand where, like, the idea of following the adventures of Hatch, I think, has so much potential. But you made this a Wolverine. Honestly, it feels like more like a Punisher story than anything. And yes. I yeah. don't really understand. I, I shouldn't say I don't understand. I'm more disappointed with the potential of exploring Patch and Madripoor, doing dirty deals, being a spy, being James Bond, doing anything, literally anything other than yeah. just mass murder of indigenous people. It, it, it was so weird because it, it just felt like everything that was set up, there was no payoff to anything that was going on in Patch. Gambit was not as guilty, but I, it had payoffs that I just don't know were big enough. You know, we're introduced to the Shadow King in issue one, and then he'd nowhere to be seen. No, yeah. Nothing to do with anything. So then what is the point of any Shadow King being involved with anything in issue one? And because he wanted to tie up the what the fuck happened with Moira because it's not super clear in the original Muir Island saga that the Shadow King has possessed Moira. She just seems fucking weird and horny. But his head's over her all the time. So it's like it's, it's supposed to be implied. He's that. just a hat. Yeah. He's just a hat. <laughs> but again, it didn't it didn't really tie Moira in. And and like it, it was so disjointed. Like, I'm like, why are we here? When did we yeah. get to this place? What, what's the goal? Why are you just showing up? Like what? Every issue what? of Gambit, when I opened it, like I was like, because there was like a little jump between issues, and like I'm like, yeah. what the literal fuck is going? On? Like I just put down issue two. Why is this? What? Where am I? Like, I read this cafe. Issue now we're running off a cliff. What the and fuck? Then we we have Bounty, who's supposed to be this amazing bounty hunter, and that's fine. She is the quicker picker like, Gambit picker upper. <laughs> like big old stomp on me, mommy. Much of you're telling us she's really great, as opposed to showing us. And I know that's yeah. really hard to do in comics. I know being a dual medium of visual and written there's a lot of things that go into you know storytelling of the comic medium but i just it, it felt like you're telling us she's great but not really showing us I, it, it it felt a little haphazard to tie issues two to five together to be like we have to tie in this bounty yep. plot but then lila cheney is here <laughs> and then we also have this <laughs> i was so oh, the only reason i still read was at the end issue one they were like oh lila cheney's gonna show up and then like three fucking issues later <laughs> that's what i'm saying like, you, you do these setups, but then you're not paying them off till later, which is fine. But they, it, where Patch didn't know where it was shooting its fireworks and didn't even know there were fireworks at all. Gambit, <laughs> the fireworks felt really minimal in terms of what they could have been. And I, I, I there's so much that just, it went, I, you were not the only one who noticed the Cheesecake Raven. It was really apparent. It was really, um, not only, you can do cheesecake. I don't want to tell, I think there's a way to do it that still feels classy. It still feels- Exterminators. Yeah. Exactly. Exterminators is a great example but it also a uh, personally just a personal thing i noticed it felt um the art was a little inconsistent especially with proportions it, it felt like there were some points where areas that were meant to be highlighted were much larger than they were in other panels <laughs> and it felt there was this there was just a little too much inconsistency of what does this character actually look like oh, yeah God. that I, I can't get behind and is okay. she seven foot tall or is she five foot <laughs> so like i love that lila goes takes her someplace to get her a new uniform that's like super armor and the arms are exposed 
exposed. It's like that that super armor didn't do shit. It didn't. Bone, like like <laughs> you get stabbed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now let's let's talk for a second about some of that. Okay. <laughs> At this point, Lila Cheney has had about ten appearances. This yeah. goes before any of Bounty's other 12 appearances in continuity. This goes before any of the other characters like Bake from issue one. This goes before Bake's appearances, which of which there's about 12 and they're almost all by Claremont. So this story that takes place shortly after Gambit is created, shortly after Lila Cheney is created, but before Bake or Bounty are ever created, goes kind of between them in retrospect by being forced in up the ass sideways through the backwards colon. No, 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 like a comic no, suppository. Like a comic suppository. Because <laughs> if I'm supposed to believe this is legit, I just have some issues. Like, I love Lila Cheney. We did six mm -hmm. issues of Spellbound. Just for just Lila Cheney. But the thing that happens is, what? how does she know Gambit? How does she know Gambit? How does she know Gambit? She hasn't met him through the X-Men yet. This is X-Men 267. How does she know Gambit? I, they met as thieves and fucked, I guess. That's like their backstory, like, I, I guess. Yeah, but Gambit has fucked people he can't remember the name of. Come on. But Lila Cheney is a little bit more discerning than that. She only likes underage farm boys. <laughs> Well, maybe, you know, maybe that's why she went with Sam because, like, her last relationship was with Gambit. And she's like, it's like, I can't get the smell of this French out of me. So I'm going to go with this coal miner's she, kid. She it's just beignets and chicory coffee. I mean, I love these are all hilarious. Like, it's funny that we get to have this conversation. But at the end of the day, it's like, I mean, that's like the fun of being a fan. But you still yeah. are like, I bought this book. And like, yeah, this conversation yeah. is better. Like, this conversation is making my money worth out of it. Yeah, but like, right. my money was not like no I did not get my money's worth out of either of these years and yeah, I just, if like, I didn't have people to talk with about this I'd be like I, uh, nope 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 if you've gone back in time to flesh out a story and then people who read it need to be like I guess I'm gonna do the mental work to figure out how this is possible and works it has not been a successful retcon story and we know that that is what happens most of the time they're really difficult to pull off they don't usually work and you Yet there's this like, aren't you charmed? We're doing it again. We're going back. No, so we couldn't, but we will. It's his the problem. It's their own work. Yeah. That's the problem that I'm having. Like the one of the biggest problems I'm having is it's their own yeah. source material. They made these stories. Like some of these are really crucial points that you either blew past or fully fucking ignored when writing this one. So now it's like, did you not look? Look at your own source material that you wrote that you've been developing for years now like what's this like we'll, we'll try and make it fit but you why <laughs> I'm just glad Claremont didn't try to put in his Kate pride as the love child. Yep. Yeah. I was afraid that Kate was going to show up in an unrelated way. Yeah. I was afraid that she and Excalibur were going to be on an adventure. <laughs> Kate was going to come across Gambit and be like, who is this red-eyed man? And that little girl, she looks like Aurora. I don't know, fuzzy elf star child stuff to the lighthouse. <laughs> 
Oh, oh, you know, and, and he did do like I have to. I have to give Claremont credit. He didn't call anybody a silly cow in this. Yeah, but... and he didn't use the N word. Yay! <laughs> True. What a weird bar to have to pass. Right. But he did use yum a few times. <laughs> yeah. No. Yum. Um. Okay. So now let me ask you as a question. I have a question because ultimately these were forty pages of story. They yeah. just aren't. They aren't whole stories. They are really good. Marvel Comics presents backups. They yeah. are two really good issues. They are one really good annual, but they are not five issues each. What they are is a new category of comic that I am going to refer to henceforth as Omni Fodder. Marvel needs a way to be able to turn three Uncanny X-Men Omnibus editions into five. So what they want to do is they want to find stories that can go back and pad out those years. Because I'll never forget, and like not like it was so long ago, but a couple of weeks ago, I'm talking with Blake of Blake's Buzz, you know, best guy in the world. And I'm talking with Blake, and he's like, you know, this is your kind of area. I want to know, could they ever do a third volume of X-Men by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee Omnibus? And I'm like, well, they're barely in the second volume at all. So not really. They could, I guess they could go back and they could take every story that's been released that fits in that window and blow it out into four editions instead of two editions but that's about it and i really think that's what they might do with these i think this might just be another hundred something pages yep. in the uncanny omnibus and another hundred pages in the larry hama omnibus for wolverine because they're both by those people anyway to your point raven these are the people who wrote those omnibus editions how do you guys feel about the possibility of these being sandwiched between classic stories please no oh god please god no because that would only that would only point out some of the uh inconsistencies or some Agreed. of the uh, the other yeah. uh, uh continuity errors more because if you sandwich them in between the originals you're gonna be like hey didn't i just see this thing go off and this other thing or didn't they mention like this person like dying <laughs> Yeah. And then you're making a reference in the next thing because it's the modern and the old. And you're like, I'm having problems actually getting these to mash up, which is a interesting, interesting problem to have. Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking forward to the extreme X-Men that's coming out. Yeah. The new, the, I'm like, am I going to buy it? Yeah, because it's got Rachel and Kitty. But like, but then I'm, I'm adding to the problem. It's not going to yeah. do anything for it. And like, uh, but yeah, no, I do not want to see these new stories sandwiched in between the classic stories. I, I think especially claremont he's got different eras where he has different quality of work like the his og x-men run stunning problems got lots of notes but it it, it is it's it's an amazing run and it's it, where the basis of these characters come from i i think when he is doing this i i can only count it counter programming for people who don't like the krakoan era of x-men like it's him you like showing his disdain for the era in in a way that uh, i don't like because if i want if I want you to go back and tell a story again, I want you to do like what Gillen just did with uh, in Immortal X-Men 8 with like, go right. back and tell me some more details about why Destiny was with the Black Womb Project. Like not not like give me a nonsensical story and introduce all these characters that you're supposed to care about and Gambit and Patch and they never are anywhere again. Yeah, it's very much the comic book equivalent of the special editions of Star Wars. Um, yeah. You know, I get that there's stuff that we all want to do that we don't get to do. And I, 
you know, we've all created things that get out in the world that we say are finished. And then we look at them and we go, oh, I could have done it so much better. But the fact is, as soon as you release it out into the world, it is it now belongs to the readers. They work it in. And these are such longstanding stories that, like, even if they had problems, we've all figured out how we're working with the problems that were there. This is our canon. And that's right. fine to go back in time and be like, don't worry, I'm going to fix it. And you're like, you just added shit that doesn't even look good that I don't want that doesn't fix anything that's really how those omnibuses will feel if this stuff is in there it's like I, I bought it for this great stuff that is mine and now you've stuck in these special effects that don't work well I mean I think that's a big problem is like comics from 40 years ago were good 40 years ago yes right. and we recognize them as being the basis for a character that has then progressed and hopefully been developed and given more nuance but we also recognize how effing problematic comic books were 40 years ago on like just across the board like sex gender uh you know consent like there's a bunch of freaking problems and we recognize those and that's why we've moved hopefully forward on how we tell stories and how we develop and nuance characters and these kind of felt like throwbacks to 40 years ago with all of the problems that we thought we had at least somewhat course corrected for over 40 years and it's like all of it just bleh. I'm like you you literally created a love interest so that you could fridge them like there's a problem that's a yeah. massive freaking problem and like the fifth issue of these two miniseries mm -hmm. Jonah wrap us on up bring us on home uh so one thought in reference to something similar to TK's talking about this feels like special edition of video games where they add maybe like one new chapter where it's the exact same game but the bigger difference there is they try to at least in an enhanced version they try to fix the problems it had before but that's not what you really do in an omnibus and that's not really what these stories are kind of seeking to do they're not really trying to fix things they're just trying to kind of pad out pages yep. in time so that you can collect and add more and sell people the exact same omnibus that's already been out but now you can say well this has these stories that you probably didn't read or you did read and didn't like and that's where i maybe have a little bit of problem in terms of like you know the capitalist venture of it all i also it, this isn't maybe the biggest problem in these two but it is something i do notice is you have to be very careful when you're doing these stories with characters that have gone through plenty of growth because it feels like sometimes writers try to ascribe characterization to characters during a time period when a they've already that's not how they were acting during that time period or b they're not taking into consideration maybe things that did happen i i don't know if gambit and wolverine as the leads of these books really kind of feel like how they're supposed to and granted maybe i didn't read during that time but i don't know if i can fully believe this is how they're going to act if you're telling me this is during this time period i agree they don't read as smoothly as I would want them to. On the whole, I'm going to say that these are kind of failed experiments as insertions. They're not even the best individual stories, but if they could cut them down, if they could get them down to two issues, get rid of some of the stuff that is unnecessary. Yeah, I think I could I could be more into what they're trying to do, but this might be the end for me reading these slot back in stories. Yeah. Agreed. There's one story I want them to tell, but like they like refuse to tell it. Like the whole miniseries for Rachel that was planned like yeah. Yeah. way back when mm -hmm. like yeah. show me that one that one i want to see like rachel in mojo world dealing with spiral but like, eh, nah, nah, just, like honestly let's that. go back let's let's go develop a time period where a dazzler was a herald of galactic
practice. Let's just go through the time again. Yes, well, let's do mini adventures. Right. Well, guys, this has been an incredible pilot for an all new way to do Exodus for Podcast. I am so incredibly psyched and honored that so many incredible people came out to join us today. Like, you know, it, me, Nathan, and TK, where we were here the whole time, and we were joined by such amazing voices like Jonah and Raven, who are on the screen now. We also had the incredible Jake, Kyle, Steve. We had, I don't think I'm missing anybody, Arturo. We had Arturo on for Immortal and Red. Yes, and that was so great. And we have had Kevo, my amazing husband, our incredible producer, running Thank the board. Thank you so much, Kevo. Thank you, Kevo. Uh, hey, every butt. You did so good. You're welcome. Yay! <laughs> and I am so excited to be doing this for you guys. Weekly going forward, we're going to be covering every corner of the Marvel Universe, a different corner each week, hitting everything from Avengers to Magic to even some of the Spider titles as necessary. Dark Web. Dark Web. That's why it's necessary. But it has been such a pleasure to pilot this new show. And I just want to give everybody on screen a chance to sign off again real quick. And I am Nico. You guys can find me on Nico Action on all socials. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And Nathan, you can find me on all socials at Dazzler AOA, like in the Age of Apocalypse, not the Red Room, Red, not the Black Lodge. <laughs> and I'm TK. You can find me everywhere uh, at XNateXGrayX. And that makes me your art ho auntie, Raven, a.k.a. Sanguine Threads. Come over and find me. And you can find me over on Araco or on socials at Geek Jonah. You can find this show all over the internet at Exes for Podcast on all relevant socials, Podcast.com, and right here on the Hubs Plus Network, your home for shows like Exes for Podcast Live, The Billy Club, and more amazing programming like HTML, our look into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Alien Universe, and every other super sci-fi franchise you can imagine and until next time it has been our pleasure to bring this to you keep those mutant gateways open those krakoan lights nope backward keep those krakoan lights lit those mute nope backward keep those mutant lights lit those krakoan gateways open remember this is live so that's gonna stay there and we'll see ya bye, bye.